Welcome to this week's Silk Grassroots Podcast, the Amateur Footballer, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Searching for players? Searching for clubs? Find players and clubs near you right now on MatchHark. Playing football could never be easier. Download MatchHark on Google Play or visit our website at matchhark.com. Truly a great match. MatchHark. Keep it simple. Get down to play today. The UK's leading app for next game availability. Download Down to Play from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the Amateur Football Podcast on the SARP platform. Hope everyone is well. Please sign up. Sign up. I was going to say sign up. Please subscribe, like, share, do all of the great stuff. So this episode is a conversation that I had with Kevin Loco, a professional footballer that plays for Farnborough. And he's had uh, a journey full of, full of ups and downs. Um in the Norwich Academy, um, how how he got there, um, issue, well, not even issues, but you know how he kind of felt at school, um, eating and you know and like diet issues and and actually why he is man that he is today. Hopefully, you guys will enjoy this episode. Please again like and subscribe to the Amateur Football YouTube channel and to the podcast. And I'll see you guys next week. Hello and welcome to the Amateur Football YouTube channel, the Stoppage Time Penalty Show. Thank you guys for watching. Please like and subscribe. Let's go straight into this. I have a special guest who's been on the show before, Kevin Local. How are you doing, sir? Very good, thank you. How are you? How you doing? I'm, I am well. I cannot complain. Again, I, and again, thank you so much for, for coming on. So let's go straight straight into it. Um, how was your childhood like? Uh, you know, um, what was the dynamic b- between you and your parents? Um, so I've got quite a different sort of background to most of the people in my area uh, back in East London. Um, so my dad's from Ghana and my mom's from the Ukraine. So I've got a massive mix. Um, and, you know, we, they came over here to England and they had me and my sister. Uh, they didn't, couldn't speak much English at the time. And uh, we had to adapt really quickly. Uh, so I was actually brought up speaking the, the Russian language, which as a mixed race guy in East London, it's a bit strange. So in terms of mixing and um you know mixing with other people uh it was quite strange and quite difficult because of my background and who i was um but between me and my parents we you know like my dad was a working man um always working day and night so i, I really got to see him and my mum was the um you know the housewife as such um who you know me and my sister were very very lucky to have a mum like her very um loving very caring and you know we had a really good bond um with me and my dad it was you know a lot of tough love uh, as you get with you know african parents um but you know even with that it sort of stemmed um 
you know, it's, it's the reason why I carry some traits that I, I do today in terms of just discipline and and whatnot. So a very structured relationship, whereas me and my mum were very, uh, you know, very caring, very loving. So I, I'm 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 lucky, um, you know, just to have parents as it is, but also have supportive parents. Um, and yeah, we you know we had a, a good relationship and um they raised me and my sister very well doing very well for us, for ourselves right now and um yeah i've got no no real complaints about you know my family like i said it was very different and very difficult at times but um you know i can't complain at all so what was the hardest thing going going into primary school regarding um like the culture and the and the language and literally your kind of, I'd say your social circle? Um, I think when you come from a mixed sort of heritage and a mixed background, being you know, a mixed race person, I think you can carry some sort of, um, some sort of confusion, I, can, I guess you can say. You know, you've got two completely polar opposites in terms of um, my mum and my dad and culture, um, which is my blood, but then, you know, being raised and going to school in the English, uh, in English school with English people, English kids, English parents. So it's uh, it can be quite difficult to, um, you know, be on the same wavelength as other kids. Uh, so in primary school, um, you know, I, I had a mixture of friends, like black friends, white friends, Asians, but I never really found a circle for me to fit in. Um, I think that comes down to one, me being so relatable to different cultures. So I was able to go from that circle to that circle to that circle. But then also I struggled to find a group or a circle that fit for me or, you know, could really, I, I could see myself fitting in a certain group of friends. So for that reason, I didn't really have a, a set group. I didn't uh, warm to a particular set of people. And um, I think that was good in the sense that I could speak to multiple people, but I couldn't really form strong relationships um, because of my lack of, you know, confidence in my identity, you know, um, and, you know, it, it proved to be difficult, but also that came with some benefits in terms of focusing on myself and really trying to, you know, be self-confident and uh, be okay with not having loads, loads of friends, which I've learned to do. Um, and yeah, that was my sort of early experience at school. And what's your fondest memory um, at primary school or, or middle school or high school? Uh, my fondest, I think. Um, so going back, I think probably when I started playing football, um, it's quite sad to say, but I actually gained quite a lot of popularity through uh, my football. And when I signed for Norwich in the academy, um, that came with a sort of status as a, I wasn't a professional footballer, but I was classed as the professional footballer. I was classed as someone who could uh, go far. And through that, at the time, uh, I saw it as a really good thing. And, you know, I started to have a lot of um, praise from teachers and from so-called friends, I, could, I guess you could say. And at the time, I loved it. Um, I loved the attention, as you do when you're young and you want to, have friends and I, I grew up not having loads so when the friends started to come uh I was really you know I was really pleased but obviously now looking back um you know that it was probably because I, I was seen as this guy who played football rather than genuine friendships but at the time I loved it <laughs> you know I was getting so much attention um 
you know, even from you know, girls and uh, you know, <laughs> you know, at, at that age, yeah. I mean, it means um, I really started to find my feet, and I became very confident because of that as well. Um, so <laughs> it's quite sad, but that's actually my fondest memories because in terms of actually school and education, I wasn't. I kept thinking about football. I was always thinking about football. So, um, you know, it was sort of outside the classroom and that sort of popularity that at the time, um, you know, felt good. Mm. And what was your first footballing memory? And and when did you find out about your ability to actually play football and think, OK, you know, I'm actually kind of good at this sport? Um, my first football memory was actually quite a bad one because I... I went to initially lose weight. My mum thought I was too big for my age, uh, too chubby. So I went wow. to my mate's football team uh, just to lose once a week, just to lose a bit of weight and just to mix with other people. Um, like I said, I didn't have many friends. So I went to mix with um, one of my friends and, and see if I can make some new connections and, you know, lose a bit of weight at the same time. Um, and we had to do like these kick-ups. I think it's like two or three kick-ups and then catch the ball. I couldn't do two. I could kick the ball, but it always go away from me. So I remember at the time feeling so embarrassed. Um, and that's always stuck with me. The fact that I couldn't do two kick-ups and some of these boys were doing three, four, five, and then with their head as well. And I was just so like jealous at the time. I thought, gee, I, I wish I could do that, you know, because again, when you can perform, you at that age, you get friendships at seven eight years of age you know you gain friendships from by being good at some things sometimes you know um and uh i wanted to improve so i i went to the park a lot with you know me and my ball my football just not not really with anyone else so i'll just go and practice get some cones uh, that my mum would put by me and i'd practice dribbling i'd practice kick-ups and then um after time and after probably about a year, I realised I was actually doing okay and I was probably on par with the other boys that, at that team. Um, and then I just had one year where I was playing football at school and I was just learning really quickly and I was developing really quickly. Um, and by year eight, uh, so yeah, in secondary school, I realised I was actually a lot better than some of these other lads. Um, so that was the time where I realised, hang on, I could actually... Uh, you know, not go pro, but at the time I was just thinking I might go to a better team or I might go to, you know, a higher division um, at Sunday league level. Uh, so, yeah, and then things really just kicked off. Um, I started to really enjoy practising and practice and enjoy, you know, doing the extra bit of training outside of the football club and uh, become addicted to it, become addicted to improving. And um, I started to really find myself go like that when other lads were just staying at the same level um so come year nine, eight year nine um you know I realized that I could actually potentially um do quite well in the sport mm. I want to kind of go back regarding you getting into football when you when you said that your mum wanted to get into sports because of your weight mm-hmm. I mean how, it, how did that make you feel or you know and, and were you kind of conscious about your weight i was really big i was my mum always said that from a young age i always want more food and you know bless my mum she was at home a lot by herself with myself and my sister and she couldn't really 
find other ways to keep us satisfied apart from food. So I was raised with, you know, if I'm upset, you give me food, you give me milk. And that sort of carried on throughout my childhood. And um, I found comfort in food. So I got to the point where I wouldn't say I was obese, but I was very, very overweight, borderline obese um, in terms of like national BMI and stuff. Um, you know, I was way above what I should have been. Um, and that was through my comfort and, you know, also insecurity, I guess, you know, I, like I said, didn't have that sort of identity at school or within myself. So uh, I'd come home from school and I'd, I'd, you know, find comfort in food. Um, and yeah, it, you know, it was, it, it was a wake up call when my mum and dad, they sat me down they said, look, you need to lose some weight. You should probably go to football training with Max, who was my friend at the time, um, with and him and his dad's team uh, and try and lose a bit of weight. Um, it was a wake up call because, you know, it, it made me realise that I was overweight. Um, I knew I was a bit chubby, but I didn't understand until my mum and dad sat me down and said that I need to do something about it to change. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that insecurity sort of was heightened at that point. Um, and I knew I had to, even at that young age, I knew I had to do something about it. Um, and, you know, it was sort of a mission to get myself, you know, into decent enough shape to, you know, be accepted into certain you know friendship groups or maybe I thought you know it could actually help me in terms of being more confident so I saw I saw it as a, a initial um insecure moment but then I slowly started to realize as you know what I could actually uh benefit from losing a bit of weight so I saw it as a positive but then I never really looked back from there and what was your first Sunday league team and can you remember the first team talk uh, that you could have ever heard um so my first in the league team was redbridge um redbridge um football club so echo league football which is you know, sunday league football at the time um i don't know if they still have echo league but um that was you know the first team and i was there for years um and the first team talk i can remember um I can't remember a team talk as such going that far back, but I remember comments from parents when they, you know, in the car on the way to a game and, you know, they just say, enjoy, enjoy it. And, you know, you, you know, it's football is the best when you're enjoying it. Um, and football's, um, there's only, there's, there's no point playing if you don't enjoy it. So don't be nervous before a game, enjoy yourself because then you end up playing better. Um, and then you enjoy it even more. So that was like something from the parents. Um, uh, but yeah, in terms of first team talk, I can't really remember too many. I don't remember last week's team talk, to be honest. So. <laughs> I'll let you edit that out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, so it's, it's um, and again, like, correct me if I'm wrong. So you, so football wasn't even an, something that you you even thought about in terms of being a professional footballer it was you know it was again it was just something that you thought okay well I'm kind of good at this and and you know I'm playing you know a bit of Sunday league and then at 14 15 you kind of go to Norwich City I mean how does yeah. how does that you know how does that journey work out yeah so it was uh like I said when I started to lose a bit of weight and when I realized I was quite good in my school and at my team at Redbridge, um, 
I guess whenever you improve at something, you can become really addicted to it. And something I've realised, I've got a very addictive personality, which can go for me and against me. So when I see improvements in certain areas, um, I'm very, very, um, you know, I'm very capable of continuing that and to continue that improvement that I'm seeing. Um, and that's I enjoy seeing myself get better. So um, year on year, I just keep, keep on improving, keep going to the park, keep, you know, playing football at school and um come 14 15 i was i'd left um redbridge i went to a team called tilbury who were in a higher division um and you know it's quite an exciting time i played about four or five games there and the manager after one of the games he pulled me to the side he said oh do you know there was a scout there watching you today i said no i had no idea um and he said it was um, you know, Dagenham Redbridge, but we've told them no. So at the time, I was thinking, what are you doing? Like Dagenham Redbridge, they're like my local team. That's like, in my eyes, a fully professional club. And that would be like a dream come true. And he said, um, he said, look, Kev, the reason I said no is because I think you're better than that. And I think you can do it even, you can go to a better club than that. But in my eyes, I was thinking, no, I can't. Like, I'm just a kid that plays football in my area. Like, I'm not, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm not much more talented than everyone else. But I'm, you know, if I get an opportunity, like Dagenham Redbridge come around the court, like, come in front of me, I'm going to take it. Um, so I didn't understand. But then, um, literally two or three weeks later, he pulled me uh, out of training and he said, remember what I said to you a few weeks ago? And I said, yeah, I was still a bit pissed off at the time because <laughs> from that rejection. But he um, he said, Norwich City just come through for you. So I said, what? Like actual Norwich City? He said, yeah. He said, they want, want to offer you a trial. So I just, I'm not sure if I believed him. I just thought it might have been a bit of rumours or just a bit like, you know, a bit of hearsay or whatever. But it found out, you know, it, it was true. I got They got in contact with me. And I went down for a trial um, against West Ham. They said, look, you, you live in Romford. West Ham's training grounds around the corner. So why don't you come down next Saturday and uh, play for us and see how you get on? So I went down to the West Ham's training ground, Little Heath, and um, played a game. I was probably the best player at the time, you know, on the pitch. I was absolutely smashed it. And they said, look, we'll give you a six-week trial. Um, told my mum and dad, uh, they couldn't quite believe it. I don't think they did believe it. They thought they had the same mentality as me. Like everyone wants to be footballers, but you know, there's nothing really that unique or special about me. So I, you know, I went into the trial thinking, let me just enjoy it. Let me just enjoy experience and just see what happens. You know, don't expect to get signed. Just go for the occasion just to see how it is. I went for a six week trial and they signed me. I was just like, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so it really wow. just, it, it was it was strange because I, you know, it was uh, I, I never really believed I'd get to the next step. I never believed I'd make it past the trial game and then the six week trial. I just kept seeing it as an experience, but um, they obviously saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Um, and again, in, that improved my confidence. And then, you know, um, I end up staying there for two or three years. There was there was a little phrase when he's talking about um, telling your parents about this trial and mm. almost like the disbelief, 
did did your parents support you in your football journey? Because you know, um, I don't know, like it kind of sounds like it was you was kind of yearning for their approval more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, my dad's from Ghana and he was always raised, you know, and believed in having a good ed- education, um, going to university and getting a job, uh, a secure job that, you know, um, will look after you for life. Uh, my mum was very similar. They both met in, uh, in Ukraine in university. They both studied and got really good, really good educations. Um, so they only knew that route they've never known anyone in our family or any friends who um yeah no family or friends you know connected to us are professional in any of their fields you know they're just good hard-working people who have landed themselves good jobs um through going to university so they um they knew the, the the amount of kids in the country that wanted to become footballers and um you know, I, I don't blame them for thinking that I couldn't do it. Um, there was that disbelief and there was, you know, a lack of initial um, encouragement for me to go for it. Um, but I knew what I wanted to do and I kept emph- emphasising that to them. And slowly they knew that I wasn't going to change my mind. Um, I knew what I wanted to do. And um, it was a slow process. But in the end, they did support me because... You know, they knew how upset I was when I wasn't playing football or I wasn't allowed to play football. And they saw how that affected me and they knew they saw how happy I was with a ball at my feet. So, um, you know, it it took a long time, but they did end up um, believing in me. And um, once they spoke to some of the coaches, you know, my parents, they'd raised these concerns with the coaches, but they'd, um, you know, they'd sort of reassure them that I had some sort of ability that they could work on um and i think they needed to hear that because it's one thing me saying it but when a coach or professional coach is saying look your son has some talent that we can we can uh, improve then um that that was sort of the you know the, the that, was, that was the time the penny dropped and that's when they started to support fully and uh you know really understand that something could happen and your like position uh, were you always a, like a defender, centre back? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, so, no, so uh, Sunday league, and when I was at Tilbury, I was actually when I got scouts, I was playing as a left back. Um, but as soon as Norwich scouted me, um, you know, they said straight away, "Look, your height, your build, your um, you know, your characteristics. We see you as a centre back. We see you as someone who, you know, could probably get a career in professional football as a centre back." Um, so. I had no problems with that. You know, it took a little while to learn the position. Um, one regret I do have is I wish that I, throughout my Sunday league sort of time, um, had a bit of experience in other positions because I think, you know, the more experience you have in, I don't know, centre midfield or playing up front, you know, you have that total all-round understanding of the game. Um, and when you're talking to your teammates, you can actually, you know, speak to them in a way that you can relate to their position um, and at the time it took a long time for me because like, I come from Sunday League I come from you know I had a slow footballing development but um, some of the boys at Norwich they were very very football intelligent they understood all the positions they were capable of playing multiple positions but me I was sort of that centre-back who was just a centre-back so um, 
again, that required a lot more uh, learning on my part to understand other positions and understand the game as a whole. Um, you know, I, I understood that I was uh, probably behind in terms of, you know, football knowledge compared to my teammates. So uh, I really took pride in, you know, um, doing that study and, and education on football, um, you know, on the pitch and tactically everything just to, just to get up to level with my teammates. I'm always play in my mind. I was always playing catch up. I was always lesser than my teammates. I always saw myself as that. And again, uh, good you know pros and cons of that. Pros because I improved, but cons because I never really could settle and be comfortable with my progress. I was always itching and uh, you know wanting more. So um, yeah, there's pros and cons to my my sort of personality traits. I think. And, and you know, like I just find it very fascinating growing up being a left back because uh, I think Gary, I think Jim McGarricka said no one wants to grow up to be a, a Gary Neville, you know, <laughs> yeah. playing, you know, playing in a defensive position, but also just kind of hearing, hearing your story and, you know, and uh, actually how you are as a person. I can always believe being a defender is a very selfless position. So like you, it's, so it's like you want other people to actually get the glory and literally let me just, sit in the background and just do my job um diligently yeah yeah no i agree i, I think I, I i was uh you know away from football i think that's my character anyway so when it comes to the pitch um i was happy to just play let alone be the star man i just wanted to do a job for the team and um win the game that we're playing um if that means me not touching the ball all game no problem you know i'm I'm happy just being that guy who um, does 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 the work that nobody sees and does that hard work that doesn't really get much credit. Um, I was happy with that though. I just wanted to, you know, um, be seen as someone who's capable um, and sort of good enough for the level. So the Norwich FA Youth Cup win. Um, how like how did you feel in that game and and um, what was like the kind of preparation before that game? It was uh, unbelievable. It was a real taste of what professional football could be like. Um, you know, playing against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge was a two-legged final. So the first leg was at Carrow Road, um, and then second leg at Stamford Bridge. I think twenty-six thousand at Carrow Road in the first leg, and at Stamford Bridge maybe twenty-four thousand. I'm not sure, but there so many fans there, and it was a real good experience. Um, the preparation for that was very professional. We um, we had a certain routine in the change room before the game. One of the lads would like do a little dance to a song. It's little things like that would like, it makes you realise that that team spirit and that preparation and keeping to that routine can actually, you know, really benefit you in the long run when it comes to like cup competitions. You need to, you really need to have that good team spirit. And that's probably why we won. We didn't have the best players. We didn't have, you know, um, better team than Chelsea did. But we, even at that age, at under 18 level, we had that, uh, camaraderie that really, um, you know, was very impressive. I think at that age to have that such, you know, that connection and take it out onto the pitch. We had that, and we worked as a team. And when we won, it felt like we won the Premier League. It was just unbelievable. You know, we had all my school, all my uh, uh, previous school teachers, and uh, you know, um, school friends all watching the game. We had so many people come to the game. It was really. 
a really special moment um, and, you know, one I'll never forget. And um, what was your lowest point at um, Norwich? Uh, my lowest point, um, there's probably two. So the first one would be probably getting released, um, you know, being told that rejection, being told that you're not good enough to play in the first team. Uh, so they couldn't offer me a professional contract. Um, that was overall the biggest low for me because I, I didn't take it very well. You know, Norwich was my life. I was there for three years. I lived up there. Um, I was there every single day, training, doing my education, everything there. Um, and I really learned to, I grew to love the city and I grew to love the club. Um, so it was, it, it was heartbreaking being released. Um, but then as a more specific moment was when I think we played Everton um at our training ground and i had the worst 45 minutes of my life like it was horrendous i think i scored an own goal every time i had the ball and tried to make a pass i passed it to their striker who went and scored that half time remember our coach neil adams at the time he um he said kev if you keep on playing like that you'll be out this club next week and <laughs> and that was brutal but I think I responded well from that. I think I need, you know, every sort of player has their way of reacting to situations. And if someone said something like that to me, like he did at the time, um, I used that as fuel to get better and not repeat those mistakes. Um, so, you know, it, but at this, yeah, like I said at the time, that was horrific to hear that from your manager. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the worst feeling in the world. Um, being told that I could get released if I keep playing like that. It's, it's quite harsh, actually, but I took it in the right way, I think. <laughs> and um, when you when you got released by Norwich, um, was there any aftercare, um, you know, physically, mentally? I mean, what was the conversation with, with your friends and family? Um, it was difficult. Um, sorry, I was getting my charger. Um, it was difficult. I... I expected more than what I got, I think. Um, I assumed that they would help me. You know, they, they put me in touch with a few clubs in terms of getting another team and going on a trial at other places. But mentally, I think at that time, there was no support. There was no psychological support. Um, so I was just out on my own, really. Um, I felt like I was back at school in terms of, you know, I've had this sort of dream three years in Norwich. And I'm sort of back to square one. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't have an agent at the time. I didn't know what to do. So I went on trial to Sheffield Wednesday, um, who Norwich uh, helped, you know, facilitate. Uh, went on trial there. I was there for three months and I was told I was going to get signed. So I was welcomed back in pre-season to, um, just to check my fitness levels. So over the summer, I got really fit. Um, done so much running so much just to prepare for the fitness testing in pre-season so we've done like a, a bleak test we've done like a two mile run thing and i won both of them out of i was nine i was 18 there was um all the first team players were there all these players that played in the championship and i beat absolutely every single person there so i thought wow okay i'm getting signed they asked me to come back because they wanted to see my fitness um my fitness levels i've come back the fittest here so that is, you know, I'm getting signed. Um, I even stupidly told my family, look, they're going to sign me. I'm going to start looking for places soon. And then long story short, 
manager got sacked and the new manager came in and didn't like me so I got released um, from my trial um, and that sort of rejection again I needed probably somebody to speak to about it um, and going back to Norwich they, they didn't have a, a dedicated person to to uh, support the the lads who had been released and it's probably changed now <clears throat> this is going back what I don't know how many years this is, eight, eight years ago, nine years ago this was. Um, so back then there was no support at all. Um, and I found it really difficult mentally to bounce back from that. Uh, not just get a club, but just to psychologically and mentally um, just to cope. You know, I was crying every night after I got released from Norwich. Um, I was I was devastated. Uh, but, you know, I guess I grew thick skin from that because... You know, I had to do it by myself. Mum and dad, obviously, they can try and support me as much as they could, but they didn't understand football. They didn't understand, you know, um, uh, how I was feeling because their sort of idea or response was, okay, look, you can go go, go to university now. You can go, you know, go get an education and get yourself a job. You tried at football, we're proud of you, but now it's probably time to get in the real world. But I didn't want that, you know, I wanted to continue. I wanted to be a pro. Um, and fortunately, after five or six trials, I, I get signed by Colchester. Um, mm. But um, even with that, I had to speak to an agent myself and ask him to help me. And he managed to get me a few trials and yeah, Colchester signed me. So uh, mm. it worked out in the end, but <clears throat> a lot more needs to be done for these young lads getting released from these clubs. Um, you're starting to see it more now, but psychologically it's, it's, it's like grief. It's like losing a loved one. You know, you, 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 you've, you've been something that you love so dearly. It's been taken away from you. So it's very similar to losing, I don't know, like a family member or friend. It's that, it's that serious when it comes to the passion being taken away from you. I mean, I mean, I can't even imagine. Cause again, like I've, you know, I've not played anywhere close to even, even non-league. So, I, did you see football at that time as a job? Um, were you still passionate about it? I mean, um, and again, was it was it kind of something that you enjoyed doing? Um, yeah, I loved it. I mean, being released didn't take away the love for it. Um, but it changed my outlook in terms of, you know, what it's about and how you can't expect a club or certain individuals to carry your hand and walk you through life. Um, it was a wake-up call in terms of, you know, if you're not wanted, you're you're out there and you're going to have to find a way yourself to, you know, to recover and to get another club because... Clubs can support you in small ways, but they're not going to hold your hand and uh, lead you to your next path. You have to really have that resilience. And, uh, you know, it, it made me understand the business of football and how brutal it can be, no matter how long you've been at a club or how loved you think you are. When you're not wanted, um, you know, it's uh, very real and it affects you a lot. And uh, I think it was a wake-up call and... Uh, going into clubs after that, I was very, you know, conservative in my approach and uh, not getting carried away with, you know, comments or praise or, 
you know criticism i always try and stay at a balance and and uh not expect too much and um yeah but my love for the sport was was still there uh, i wanted to prove norwich wrong i told norwich when they released me that you're going to see me one day become a professional footballer um and you know um it's a shame it's not happened here but you'll you'll see it elsewhere and um i told them that i had to get it off my chest because i believed that i was capable of, of doing it um and then yeah i managed to do so so uh yeah that's amazing and and uh correct me if i'm wrong you you like played for the england is it england b or england c england yeah 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 um literally how how was that you know again um how did like the call-up process happen um and again like representing england i mean how um, how was that that for you yeah that was great so i was playing for maidstone at the time um i dropped into non-league and um maidstone my manager gave me a call and he said that um paul fairclough who was the england c manager um wanted to call me up for their two games um and effectively what england c is is the best um the best under 24 players in the country uh aged 24 and under um who are playing outside of the football league so they saw me as one of them uh and it was a great sort of platform to showcase what i was about uh played both games 90 minutes in both games done really well and um a couple of weeks later, Stevenage gave me a call and they wanted to offer me a contract. So it was a it was a good platform for me to, you know, just firstly to get that recognition as being one of the best players in non-league and also to perform well. Yeah, that really put me in good stead. And, uh, you know, I managed to get a, a football league opportunity from that. And like, you know, um, again, like you've like got an amazing CV from, of course, Colchester, Welling, Maidstone, Stevenage, Dagenham, Redbridge, Dover, Harrogate, Aldershot. I mean, with like all of those clubs, um, what what have you taken from like those clubs that but like now you've taken into Farnborough? Um, I think I've learned over the years uh, what it takes to become successful in the team. Um, you know, I've. I think with experience in football, you you start to realise that it doesn't matter if you play 10 out of 10 one week uh, and then four out of 10 the next. You know, you need to be consistent. And even, even if that means perfecting the basics and being a solid six or seven out of, uh, out of 10 every single week for the whole season, that's what it takes to be successful. Um, and so, especially as a centre-back, you need to really simplify the game. I, re- I, I learned that all these flashy skills and like unbelievable moments in the game means nothing if you've performed badly for the rest of the season or the rest of the game. Um, uh, I became quite, um, again, conservative going into one club to another in terms of what to expect from the club. Uh, like, Like I said, I've got these negative experiences being rejected from certain clubs. So I'd always go in aware that I've got to prove myself and I can't expect, even if I'm playing well, to not get too carried away. You can never get carried away in football. It doesn't matter how well you think you're doing um, because they can replace you so quickly. Um, And that's sort of kept me on my toes and kept me performing well 
kept me preparing well for games because uh, I know, like I said, one bad game that can affect your season um, and a lack of preparation. I'd say I've learned a lot. Um, if you, you don't prepare for a game at this level um, or any sort of professional level, um, you'll get punished because players are, you know, players are good enough to punish you when you make a mistake. Um, there's so many lessons that I've learned and that comes with experience and playing games. Never too high, never too low in terms of your emotions on the pitch or off the pitch. Really try and stay consistent and balanced. And, um, you know, that's probably my my biggest take from my sort of senior career. You know, don't get yourself too excited or don't get too carried away with praise, but also don't get yourself too down. Just work hard, prepare well and... Um, stay consistent that's the the biggest thing that i've realized in terms of being you know successful and as a center back because you know um and let's, i'm going to be slightly selfish here as well because you know i i could have played play as a center back and um i hate when the opposition score against me and again like it may come from someone else's mistake or you know i don't but i just literally it cuts me up inside um is that that a good trait to have and have and like do you now take take your work home with you and and literally what's that balance of of like focusing on the next game and yeah. reflecting on the previous i'd say it's a good trait to have if you respond well from it so you know no one likes to concede a goal <clears throat> if you concede and it cuts you up inside and you respond by being reckless and you get sent off or you put in a dangerous challenge that puts the team at risk of losing the game, that's not a good trait. But, you know, if you respond by being more aggressive in a good way, uh, speaking more, uh, concentrating more and having that real desire to, um, to do your job properly, then it is a good trait. You know, it depends how you react. And it's, again, like I said, if you get too low, get too high, you will make rash decisions. Um, so, it's, you know, it's that temporary feeling of, ah, we've conceded a goal. Now, what can I do after? How can I make, how can I use that emotion I'm feeling to benefit me, but more, more importantly, the team? Once you master that and you use it as fuel uh, to do something good for the team, then it's, a, um, it's an unbelievable trait to have, you know. It's good to use those emotions, but in the right way. Um. Uh. But yeah. So, what was your second question? Do you have a second question there? Um. And and literally, when you personally make a make a mistake, or literally, if you or if you think that you've had a bad game, how like do you kind of take that home with you, or like you know, or or like do you have a mental block where it's like I'm leaving it the moment? Yeah. I just look. Yeah. I would love to know your your process. Yeah. Um, I used to take it home with me. Um, I used to be, you know, uh, before my never too high, never too low sort of ethos I kept, you know, I keep talking about, um, I would literally, if I have a bad game, uh, I would, or we lost the game, I'd come home and probably won't speak too much to my parents or speak to my girlfriend. Um, I would really just either go out clubbing and start drinking, um, just to try and have a good time and forget about what's happened. Um, and that would just affect my week. Um, 
at the time I thought it was a good thing. I don't like losing, so I should be upset and that's a good thing because I care. But there's more to life than football. You know, you've got one game on a Saturday, you've got six days at work or at home or with your teammates. You need to try and sort of distance that and separate it. So now what I do is, you know, I tell myself, if I prepare the best I can uh, for this game, and if I give 110%, um, which those two things are in my control, no matter what happens in that game, I can come home, I can be happy, because all you can do is the things you can control, and that's prepare and work hard. If you do both those things, the rest is out of your control. So um, you can't change what's happened. You can only prepare even better or you know, work even harder. Um, but if you're doing those two things, then, you know, that's a win for me, you know. You've, you can't win every week. You're going to lose some games. But as long as you know you've prepared well and you've you've give absolutely everything out there on the pitch, um, you know, then you can come sort of come home a happy man. And that's what I do. You know, I leave everything at football now. Nothing, as soon as I get in the car, I'll put on a podcast that doesn't even mention football something interesting i'd come home i see my daughter and um you know i'm smiling again so uh, it's only if you're not preparing well and you feel like you could have given more in terms of effort in a certain game then i'll have that in the back of my head but yeah like i said as long as you do those two things you can't have you know you can't overthink it that's all you can control and that's all you can do so and uh, how is having your family changed your um, outlook on life? Um, it's been massive. Uh, you know, it's been a massive shift. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you. I, 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 having my daughter um, from day one was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Uh, because at the time, uh, I was very... I was very um, irrational and emotional with my my actions. Uh, like I said, I've got a very addictive personality and it can be good and it can be bad. Uh, so at that time, before my daughter was born, if I'm having a bad week, it could be not even related to football, um, you know, just anything. I It takes me a bit longer to um, come out of a rut, as you can say, that my habits can lead me down a real dark place uh, if I don't consciously make the action to turn that around. Um, and I felt myself going up and down way too much uh, because of things I can't control. You know, I was playing for a team and the manager was not picking me. Um, I, again, these insecurities from my childhood would keep coming back, not being good enough, not being... Um, not fitting into the situation I was in. I was working hard, but I couldn't change the situation. My emotions were all over the place. And um, I think having my daughter and having my family now makes me realise that, again, you can't, you can't uh, control absolutely everything. You can control your actions. You, can, you can't influence how other people think about you. You can do what you can do and you can just focus on what's most important and that's really enabled me to start saying no now to some things you know having my daughter 
if I don't want to do something with some friends, if I don't have the money, if I don't have the time beforehand, I'd be, I'd try and please absolutely everyone. So I'd say, yeah, sure. We'll go out tonight. Yeah, sure. We'll go for that, go for that meal. But now, um, the bigger picture is if I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it because I've got such limited time in the day. I'm working, I'm playing football, I'm working out. I'm trying to be a good dad, a good partner. That That's my, core that's the most important thing uh so having you know Mila and my daughter she's made me understand that you know there's so many things in life that aren't important uh or aren't important enough to stress about them and uh family and that your loved ones are absolutely everything and they'll be there for as long as you live so I try and focus all my attention on that and yeah like I said my daughter's enabled me to have that mindset and yeah change my life really and um when was the last time that you cried <laughs> uh, oh jesus um probably in terms of negative cry well like emotionally overwhelming times um See, the fact that I'm struggling to think about it is probably not a good thing. Uh, I, feel, I feel like men, we should be okay to to cry when we're feeling a certain way. I mean, I'm so used to... I'm still going through that process now of um, identifying when I've got something that's not sitting right with me um, to be able to be kind to myself and to express that emotion with myself or with my loved ones. Uh, I grew up covering a lot of emotions and I've become sort of an expert in, in, in a bad way, in a detrimental way of uh, covering my emotions. So now I'll have an urge to be upset or I have an urge to cry, but I can't do it because I'm so used to covering it up. I can't actually tell you the last time I've cried. Um, it's been a long time. I cried when my daughter was born, but that was pure happiness. Um and it's been a long time since I've had a cry to myself uh, or to, you know, my partner. So um, that's still a work in progress, I think, because I've had, you know, like we all do, we have bad times, we have dark thoughts, we have that, you know, periods of our life that aren't going so great and we should be able to sort of express that, shouldn't we? So um, that's still a, a work in progress for me. And um, you are currently playing for, for Farnborough. How is, how is that going? and um, what you're looking to achieve with the club yeah it's been good uh so you know i think at the moment we've got the fa cup this weekend you know try and get as far as we can in the fa cup um starting this saturday against wrexham you know a good fa cup runs really good financially for the club and for a lot of us players who who might want to you know get a move back into the football league or go higher up the pyramid it's you know a good opportunity for that those players um and then also you know we I th I, we want to get in the playoffs really you know we're we're on a good run we're 12 unbeaten and um ideally we'd like to try and challenge for for playoff a playoff place you know we're mid-table at the moment but um if we continue our run there's no reason why we can't be you know looking at playoffs and potentially getting promoted so that would be an unbelievable season 
but yeah, let, let, let's see. Let's see what happens. And uh, have you kind of thought about what you're looking to do outside of football? Well, you, um, when you when you retire, which I hope is is the next two or three decades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of, so I'm currently doing a bit now, um, doing a bit of finance work. Um, I'm taking up some exams and I'm currently working in the firm to, um, you know, just to start my sort of career outside of football, um, which I'm really enjoying. When I fully retire, um, again, I've got these traits in me that doesn't allow me to rest. Um, and I'm not, I can't be that person who, who finishes football and does nothing, um, terms of like my body and my mind um when I'm working out or when I'm competing in the sport I feel better in my mind um so I'd love to do an Ironman you know you know like wow. the, uh, yeah I'd love to do an Ironman and uh you know I think keeping fit and setting a ridiculous goal like doing the Ironman is something for me um I think I think I'd enjoy the training when, I, when I'm training uh, and I'm enjoying the training, again, like I've mentioned, I'm very good at sticking to it and and pushing myself to ridiculous limits. Um, so that'd be that'd be some, that's something that's on my bucket list, and um, I'd love to do marathons, triathlons, Ironman. I'm 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 a nutcase, really. I I just want to, <laughs> I, I want to myself through hell uh but in a good way you know I like, I like a challenge so yeah and um what's your one tip for anyone out there that's struggling with consistency um first okay one tip um i would say set achievable and realistic goals so when i say that i mean if you're trying to be consistent in football, for example, um, you know, set a goal that's simple and achievable because with that starts momentum. With momentum, you know, you start to get into a good habit and with good habits, you start to build some consistency. So if you set an achievable goal that you can reach, that feeling of hitting the goal, the, those that sort of rush of, Oh, I've actually achieved this now. You know that that becomes addictive, and um, you know you start that snowball effect, and things become a lot easier, and you can you're more likely to stay consistent. I think if you hit, if you set a, you know, a longer term goal, and you're forgetting the small wins and the small achievable goals, um, it's easy to get sort of distracted, and you lose your track. Um, I'd say set small realistic goals which you can build on and go from there and uh hopefully the consistency will come amazing and uh kevin if like anyone wants to contact you um where's the best place for like them to to um reach out to you yeah so um i'm on twitter i'm, I'm not on instagram unfortunately i'm uh <laughs> I'm, I'm not big i'm not massive sorry <laughs> but you know i'm, I'm on twitter because that's like my main Sort of like news and whatnot, but I'm on. I'm, I'm my DMs are open on Twitter. I'm on Facebook, all under my name, Kevin Locko. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Again, just my name, Kevin Locko. Easy to find. 
um, and my DMs are always open. So if anyone that's watching or anyone that comes across this video in the future has any questions about absolutely anything football related, non-football related, um, you know, I've always wanted I've always wanted to have that person that I know I know has no judgment and I could speak to. Um, so if I can be that person for anyone, then I'm more than happy to. Um, all you've got to do is get in contact and, um, you know, you, you'll be sure to have a reply from me and uh, I'll give you my time. So uh, anyone that sees this, please feel free to ask any questions or um, ever want to chat about anything non-football related, then uh, I'm always here. Kevin, you know, and I just want to say now that um, that you've kind of um, opened up your like, experience to to like someone that um, contacted me and they and they just couldn't speak like like highly of of literally of your of your knowledge and uh, experience so so you know i just want to just say uh, while the kind of videos going thank you again for just um taking time out of your day to 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 actually help um the like player in that like, question and like, also as well coming coming back onto the show um thank you for your for your support and feedback no problem thanks for having me on again it's uh it's nice man it's it's almost like therapy this you know just talking about all different sort of topics it's uh it's helpful for me as well so i'm more than happy to to jump on the call and and do this even again in the future so thank you for having me on searching for players searching for clubs Find players and clubs near you right now on MatchHark. Playing football could never be easier. Download MatchHark on Google Play or visit our website at matchhark.com. Truly a great match, MatchHark. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.